welcome to the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way, and we should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hello, everybody. I am so excited to be bringing to you a bonus episode. My plan was not to come back until September with new episodes, but when I recorded this a few weeks ago, I knew I had to release it ASAP. It is that incredible. My guest today is Jennifer Hubbard. Jennifer is going to share about the loss of her daughter, Catherine, who was only six when she was a victim of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting in 2012. She's also mom to a son who is getting ready to graduate, and we're going to talk not only about that tragic day 10 years ago when she lost her daughter, but also the incredible organization that she has started called the Catherine Violet Hubbard Animal Sanctuary and Foundation that helps heal people through contact with animals. It is such a beautiful organization to continue the legacy of her daughter whose life ended far too soon. We're going to talk about her healing process, what life looks like, how she sent her son back to school to that very same school just a few weeks after losing her daughter. And for anybody listening who is scared to send their child to school right now, I get it. But in addition to hearing Jennifer's story of loss, I hope that you will walk away feeling inspired to truly live your life, truly love your kids, truly create memories and opportunities so that no matter what happens, you'll be able to say, I loved them so much and they knew it. Let's get to my conversation with the extraordinary Jennifer Hubbard. All right. I'm so honored to be chatting with Jennifer Hubbard today. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Where am I speaking to you from today? I'm in Connecticut. Beautiful, beautiful. And I, we were just talking about the humidity over the summer. I used to live in Virginia and, and I feel, I feel that thickness. <laughs> I feel your pain as you walk outside. It's soupy. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Are you a longtime Connecticut resident? I am not. Okay. I, um, we moved to Connecticut, uh, when I stopped working, I decided to pack it in when my oldest was born. Um, 17 years ago, I decided that I could have a great career um, and be a great mom, but I couldn't do both at the same time. So I put a career, I put career on pause. Um, and I was in Buffalo at the time for my job. I was in sales and marketing. And we just decided that Connecticut was probably a really nice split the difference between um, the families. Yeah. So tell me about that transition from, from working to obviously you prioritized having a family, being home with your children, things like that. Was it what you thought it would be? What were the kind of, what was the rub there? No, not at all. I don't think it is for any of us, <laughs> for any of us, because I had these grand expectations that my life with kids would be as structured and sane as it was in in the workplace but you're dealing with babies and 
I loved every minute of it. It was it was such a huge difference from being in an office to being in a backyard and on a swing set. And I desperately for the first year tried to put structure around it. I remember keeping a journal of Frederick um, and what he was what he was eating and anytime he didn't feel well and Tylenol and you know, by the time Catherine came along, forget it. It didn't matter. So long as she ate and slept, we were good. Well, and that's the thing when you go from college to the workplace, we're taught like A plus B equals C and we're always kind of crowdsourcing, you know, what parenting books are you reading and things. But the fact of the matter is kids are so different. And just because you do A, it does not mean that they're going to do B and then C is going to happen. And if it does one time, it may not happen the next time or, or vice versa for the positive. So it's just such a, a steep learning curve. And what would you say, how did you evolve as a human being, as somebody who, you know, previously had, you know, had success in the workplace and in life and everything. And then you're kind of at the mercy of these, these kids that kind of test your identity, test your personality and maybe your instincts and things like that. Did you see that happen? I did. I think the transformation for me was when I just settled into it, when I just accepted the fact that, these two little beings that I was hanging out with every single day had their own identities and their own ideas. And I just celebrated what they stood for. And it was a game changer because I just relaxed and I can see it now that I just enjoyed the moment. Thank God I did. Um, Because I think you learn a lot about your kids as individuals versus your kids as these little creatures that you have to protect. Yeah. Celebrated what they stood for. Oh, I love that so much. My first son, I have four boys and my first son was so, so challenging, but I'm so grateful that even in those hardest moments, I thought to myself, the things that make him an impossible toddler or feeling like that he's an impossible toddler are going to make him an incredible young person adult and I don't want to squash this fire. I don't want to squash this determination and stubbornness. And and it comes out in really negative ways as a toddler, but I'm Mm -hmm. beginning to see Jennifer, the positives of those strong attributes now. And I'm so grateful that I didn't squash it at the time, even though it was so hard. And I love what you say, like not squashing or or extinguishing the fire, because I really do. I, I really do believe that at four, five, and six, we can really see our kids' beautiful hearts and and their life's calling. And it's sad for me to think that kids nowadays have the the capacity and the potential to unlearn their love. Mm. And I just, what a tragedy for me in thinking that you know, Catherine's heart was animals and everything animals. And there was no around animals. <laughs> and I was able to, to really just soak in that passion. Um, and the same with my son. I, he was all about the, the lawn and in the dirt and growing. And, and really, I think that losing Catherine um, and really celebrating her life and her passion taught me to celebrate whatever he was into at a, at any given time because you know that little that little guy riding around on a John Deere and 
riding on the Momo is now going to school to study sustainable ag. And I just, I feel like what would happen in this world if we celebrated and embraced kids for their love um, and gave them that fuel to move forward with it? Imagine the inroads and the strides that we'll make. I, I, I can't help but think that every... Every person, every biography I've read, um, the hero in it is the person that just stays steadfast to who they are and what they stand for. And if we can do that with our kids, imagine the world that we can create. Yeah, imagine. And sadly, it took losing your daughter to shape this narrative that that you have. But it sounds like from the get-go, you had that appreciation. And I can only imagine when you suffer a tragic loss like that you and your family did, you're that much more grateful for the moments you didn't waste, for the love that you embraced, the embracing the themness as long as you had them, even though for you and for Catherine, it was six short years. Absolutely. I think that I, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that losing her and knowing that while it was difficult to leave the workforce, and believe you me, there were days where I grumbled and said, you know what, this is for the birds. So grateful for for having those times and those moments to really just be able to, to know that those moments on the swing set, they mattered. But for me, they're treasures that I can hold on to and, and really have the time to soak in and, and understand who who Catherine was as you know it seems odd to say like to really appreciate the three-year-old or the four-year-old because I think in the moment it's really easy to to struggle with the potty training and the preschool and the snacks that are all over the floor but there's humans in there and moving forward with with Frederick really making it a point to sit with him as a 10 year old and a 15 year old and now a 17, almost 18 year old. And really knowing that those moments as frustrating as they might be are gonna mean something someday. And it's sad to think that losing Catherine made me appreciate that because the moments I, I would have missed. And the reason that we do these kind of hard conversations and these types of episodes is not to focus on the loss, but to focus on if somebody listening can learn that before, before they have to go through something hard, whether they end up losing a child or just any change of circumstance they didn't expect. And they're like, I wish I had known this before blank. I would have appreciated, you know, whatever it is so much more. I hope the listener today, and I know that I'm feeling it in my heart right now, We can stop and realize, gosh, what is right in front of me is Mm. so beautiful and is exactly where we need to be and what we need right at this moment. And we can be happy now and have gratitude right Mm -hmm. now. And we don't, we shouldn't wait. We should not wait. Right. Yeah. Even just the moments to stop. And it doesn't have to be with, with another person right in front of you. And it could be, Yeah. it doesn't have to be with your, with your child. But just taking taking the time as a mother um, to to really appreciate, you know, it's a it's a awful sticky day here today. But you know, if the sunset is beautiful as I imagine it will be tonight, of that 
knowingness of just stopping and appreciating it. There's nothing more important than what's happening right now. And if there's a, if, if there's an uneasiness or some sort of anxiety that's, that's kind of eaten away of acknowledging it, but realizing that right here, right now, this is what's the most important thing, whether it's appreciating what's around us or our neighbor or focusing on doing the grocery grocery shopping or the kiddo that is making us cringe. So it is, it, we're, we're our own worst enemies in that way, I think. I agree. You had two kids at Sandy Hook Elementary 10 years ago. Yeah. Can we go back to that time mm-hmm. real quick? Mm-hmm. <sighs> 10 years ago <clears throat> in December, you sent your yep. kids off to school. Like mm-hmm. we all do. Like we all kind of take for granted. Like we send them off and we bring them home. Yep. Tell me about your life 10 years ago. So it was a Friday, obviously, um, or maybe not so obviously. It's every Friday I think about it. Like, oh, wow. Um, but it was a Friday. It had been a very long week. Um, the Catherine and Freddie's dad was out of they. He was out of the country um, on a business trip, and so I had a eight year old and a six year old, uh, and we were ten days, just under ten days from Christmas. And so the energy in the house was amplified because of all of the traditions. And I'm a big tradition girl. So right down to it's 10 days before Christmas and we're going to make the gingerbread house. And this is what we're going to do. And um, Catherine had had, it was Thursday night. She had had daisies. Um, and so she was excited about that. She had bought, I had bought her a pair of boots that had jingle bells on them. So she was excited about the jingle bells. And I had to get the, the walls made for the gingerbread house. And so I remember coming home late from, it was late with Littles, but it was like seven o'clock and we made the gingerbread walls. And, you know, they were using pizza cutters and it was, flour was flying and I was tired. But, you know, for the, For the first time, it was the first year where I just leaned into the moment Mm -hmm. and let whatever happened, happen. Um, And so the following morning, we made the trek down to the school bus stop. I live at the top of a cul-de-sac, and so the bus doesn't come up. So we made the trek, and it was always the same thing. I'd always, you know, get Catherine's shoes on. I'd sides of her feet and say, let's go. And the tears would start. Um, you know, she was waterworks because she didn't want to go to school. She hated it. She wanted to be home with mama. And um, I sent her off to school that morning and she didn't cry. It was the first time she didn't cry. And we had this little, we had this little routine where she'd kiss, it was from a book, The Kissing Hand. She'd kiss my hand, i kiss her hand. We'd press it in and she would always say, all the way down to my toes. And she turned around um, as she crossed the street and she gave me a wave. And I locked arms with my neighbor because she and I would go through this routine together every morning and we would cry coming home from the bus stop. Like, oh, is she ever like, oh my God, like this girl is miserable. And I remember my neighbor saying to me, she's arrived. Like, oh. She has- arrived and we just we were like finally finally um and then i went into my day i was i was on the phone with 
with I, my mother. I was talking to her. I was, you know, doing this ballet of phone and shoulder and making beds and doing dishes. And um, when the phone call came in and said, you need to come down to the school, something's happened. And um, I knew something was wrong. I think all of us know um, and it's not just a mother thing. I think as human beings, we know when something's really wrong. Um, and I got to the school and at nine and or a little bit thereafter and found out um, around three that that we'd lost Catherine. I'm Heartbreaking. So sorry. Oh. Yeah. Oh. It's a lot. It's, it's a, a lot. lot. And, it's you know, I, I was there with uh, my son was in the school. Um, he was in third grade. And when he um, when I saw him, he he his first words to me was, Mama, I can't find her. Um, he was I'm so sensitive now to to the task that I put on him or even my nieces and nephews that, you know, he his job was to take care of his sister. Um and it's so naive and innate that we say, take care of your sister. That's your job. Um, right. And so he waited with me all day. Uh, and all I wanted to do was just take him home and yeah. understand and, and grapple with the reality of what I heard. Because I knew that she was gone. But the idea of coming into the house that hours before mm. she was clomping yeah. around in. I'm so sorry. Thank you. It's, I mean, it's been 10 years and here it takes you right back to that moment. And for somebody across the country who heard about that morning and lived through the devastation vicariously and pictured their children going through something and hugged their, and got to hug their kids that day. I can't imagine. I can't imagine Jennifer. And I'm so very sorry for your loss. Thank you. Thank you. And then there's the complication of Frederick coming home and you have to get up the next morning for him. And he was in the school as well. And for him to live through that, I would imagine there would be survivor's guilt and, and a whole host of, of things and, and trauma there. Tell yeah. me about the, the day after. How do you get up? How do you live for Frederick and for all the other things that you're still put on this earth to do? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You do it. You just do it. I didn't even think about it. I didn't even question it. I thank God I had him. Uh, I, I wonder where I would be if I didn't have him to get up for. The first week was just this routine of planning and people in and out of the house, the hard work of, of missing and losing started when it got very, very quiet. Um, and the funeral had been cleaned up and I knew I needed to go over to the cemetery and clean up flowers that were on the, that were on Catherine's grave because they were now dead. And just the, it was all so overwhelming and the best piece of advice I got was hour by hour. Mm. What do you have to do in the next hour? And I think it really attuned me to living in this moment of now. Um, just worry about what you've got to get done in the next hour. Mm. And 
if you if if you're upset and you miss her that's <laughs> okay yeah because that's what's supposed to happen and eventually in time an hour turned into a day turned into a week and there are still moments where I have to pull myself back because I feel my heart rate rising and thinking, oh my gosh, Catherine would be graduating this year or Catherine would be doing some, there's some milestone that just brings me right back to, to this rawness. And I, and I, it's okay. I've learned it's okay to say, okay, it's all right. Just worry about right now and know that in time and in, in a gentle space, we recover our footings. Mm. I had to get up one day and I'll, uh, it, it, was, it was a game changer for me because I realized that the important work of living was not in the magnitude of what we had created in Catherine's memory. It was in the everyday moments of living. So Freddie was going back to school and the school had said to us, do you want, you can do whatever you want. Um, they had changed the schools. They kept the kids together. and But they just didn't know. This was so brand new. And they didn't know how to deal with the siblings of those that were lost. And so they said, you're the parent. You're the parent. You know what's best. And the decision was made to put Frederick on the bus. Like, this is what we were going to do. He's going on the bus because he needs to realize that there's something normal in life. And for him, going on the bus was normal. Um, but that required packing a lunchbox. And that required getting out of bed mm-hmm. <laughs> and making sure he got, and I just one step at a time, but packing that lunchbox and putting him on the bus as hard as it was for me to do gave not only him permission to start living, but mm. gave me permission to start living. Oh, that is yeah. so powerful. And those small, simple things kind of snowballed, I'm sure, into a, a new normal, a new sense of, well, there's got to be something to live for today, and I'm going to wake right. up to figure that out. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And they're tiny. They are yeah. tiny little acts. The year, um, a year later, when we started thinking about milestones and then traditions that were associated with the first Thanksgiving and the first Christmas, um, you know, doing those small little things. Our first, the first Christmas tree that we put up after Catherine died was awful. Like, I think it had four ornaments on it. But but the, the greater blessing was that, yes, there's still Christmas. Even though Catherine's not here, there's still Christmas. And for, for Freddie and for me, that was a big deal that we have, we have, we owe it to ourselves. We don't owe it to the people that were mourning. Like, they... They're good. Catherine is right. good. We owe it to ourselves and our hearts to continue to live the life that we've been given. Yeah. When I talk to my kids about death, and it feels like I have to do it more than I, I oh. want to, we talk about how exactly what you're saying, that person is good. They are whole. They are healthy. And they are relieved. They are, they are, they are <laughs> in eternal relief. But for the people left behind, there's a hole. And we have to figure out how to keep going even with the hole and how we can honor. And there's a reason that Frederick lived. There's a reason that you wake up every morning with another day to choose how to live. And we each get that blessing every day as long as it's afforded to us. And we don't get to choose how long it is. And I would imagine 
there were probably some angry days for you. Like, why did she get six years? Why only six? But I wonder if over time of the last 10 years, any of those questions have been answered for you as you've continued to do the work of Catherine's Mm -hmm. true love of animals. (laughs) You know, they have, I mean, in some ways they have been answered, but I think more than having them answered, I've stopped asking them. Oh, thank you. I love that. That the the answer is not important anymore. Mm. Like, why me? And why do I have to deal with this? And come on. And I'm not strong enough for this. Or what is this all about? No, Mm. they're just, they're not, they're not questions that need to be answered. Mm. I think we ask a lot of questions for far too long that maybe don't need to be answered, Jennifer. We all get in that routine of like, if I only knew why, if I knew the answer, then I could move on. And I, and I think you're right. I think, yeah, I think that can really hold us back from, from healing. Sadly, school shootings have Mm. been on the rise for the last 10 years. And even in the last month it has happened again in devastating ways what comes up for you when these new news stories pop up and you know what these families are going through and I would imagine you think like again what is going on what comes up for you what and you just you 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 just nailed it on the head it brings it all right back um for knowing Uvalde hit close um, because it was very, very similar. And the fact that there was, I knew that there was a mother who probably was there by herself with, you know, another child or, you know, it was probably a very eerily similar situation. Um, And while I didn't realize it then, because I was just so numb and in shock, I now know the hurt and the pain, um, and that's hard. That that's hard to to even fathom for another person. I I think um, so. Knowing knowing that there's a family and knowing what they're about to walk into is heartbreak. I sobbed with Uvalde. I sobbed um, in a way that I haven't sobbed in a long long time because for me it became it it has become a matter of we're obviously doing something wrong like there's something wrong and maybe it's time to reconsider how we're approaching this and maybe in in the same light as it doesn't take these massive acts of memorialization to honor our loved ones maybe it's not going to take massive acts of legislation and and reform maybe it's going to start when we realize that we need to start looking our children in the eye and we need to start accepting who they are as human beings and rather than being connected over an ether being connected over a dinner table there maybe that's where we need to rethink our normal. Yeah. Oh, thank you for saying that. That is so powerful. And I believe so strongly that the most important work we will do is within our home. 
-hmm. And I think a lot of people feel so overwhelmed with the state of the world and the legislation that's not getting passed or not doing when things don't go the way you want them to go, then what can we still send our kids to school? Can we still feel safe going to church? Can we still go to a parade? Like, and I think the answer is when getting back to the beginning of our conversation, Jennifer, when you are making those moments with your kids, when you are realizing that now is all we have and it now is the most precious moment that we will ever be given and then the next moment is the, the next precious and the next precious, right? Until it's not anymore. Mm-hmm. When we do that, we can live without regret. That's and right. then I think we can live independent of everything else needing to be perfect or perfectly safe around us. But when you go through something that hits so close to your home and changes your whole life, yeah. it's, it's different for you than it is for me because... I just have that, that fear sometimes of, can I send my kids to school? Like, is that, is that worth the risk? And ultimately to me, because of, because of how I view my role as a mother, empowering them and loving them, they know that they are so loved and I can send them out the door feeling so loved that I know no matter what, we're going to live today. We're not going to fear today. We're going to live today. So powerful. I don't know. It's so powerful and empowering to them. Mm. Because I really Mm. do believe, and it's a lot of the work that we do at the sanctuary, that if we can create in people a feeling of love and acceptance and compassion, then that then goes and becomes part of the fiber of who they are. And then and then it's the butterfly effect. Yeah. That person then becomes an influence on someone in their life and you never know there will never be a measure or metrics i'll probably never get a grant for it and i don't care there's there's no way to measure the fact that someone who felt like they were an outsider or felt like they were less than because of whatever reason came into contact with either me or the work that we do through the sanctuary and encountered Catherine's gentle, gentle spirit. They didn't go down a dark hole and end up in a school with, with a weapon that kills babies. That's okay to me. I don't need to measure that. It's about the one. It's about the one. And I'm sure you've had so many beautiful experiences. And I can only imagine how you felt Catherine's spirit through the sanctuary. Tell me about your sanctuary, your animal sanctuary. Tell me why you chose this as a way to honor her life. And tell me what it's added to yours. So the sanctuary was a typographical error. (laughs) I left out the word control from the obituary. (laughs) I asked for contributions in Catherine's memory to go to the Animal Center of Newtown, which I thought was the Animal Control Center. And I, you know, it was the first address that popped up and, you know, family was handed, you know, I need the address and here it is. And the next thing I know, it was not the Animal Control Center. It was actually what I wrote down, the Animal Center of Newtown. It was for women. They rescued cats. They received an outpouring of love and generosity from so many people and they sat down at our dining room table and they said 
we really think that a sanctuary would be a beautiful creation um, with the with with the money that was donated in Catherine's memory. To which I said, "What's a sanctuary?" Catherine just had this love of animals. She wanted to care for them. If she saw a dog on the side of the road, she would res- rescue it. Yeah. Um, air quotes rescue <laughs> my neighbor's dogs <laughs> they were safe and sound when Catherine was around she'd go flying out of the house um, when she saw the neighborhood cat around like unstoppable and so when they described a sanctuary as a place where children would see their own innate beauty in the in the eyes of the animals that they encountered I said I'm in that's her heart and nine years later we have educated close to 140,000 people um, between kids and free workshops that we do at the sanctuary. We have helped hundreds, if not now going into probably thousands of animals, um, remain in their rightful homes. The work that we do at the sanctuary, we honor the bond that exists between humans and animals because that's where I see Catherine's beauty. She just loved being in proximity of an animal and caring for it. Mm. There's something so powerful in looking outside of yourself. And I, I get the feeling that Catherine was wise beyond her years in that. Was she? She was. Wow. She was. So she, we had this rule in our house that you had to let, she would, she would, and, and during the summer, cause we would be at home. Um, she would find a friend for the day and she would create this beautiful habitat in a mason jar. And the rule was that you had to send your friend back at the end, at the end of the day, they needed to be released, whatever it was, frog, butterfly, worm. And she had this beautiful grace about being able to do it. Her brother, not so much. He was a mess. He wanted to keep the animals and why can't he have spot? He loves spot. But Catherine would send them off with this beautiful sort of moment quiet that it was just she and the creature. And so I said to her one day, what on earth is this all about? And she was asking the friend, whatever it was, to go tell their friends that she was kind. Hmm. And she believed in her heart of hearts, so wise, that if they knew that she was kind, they'd come back with more friends. What? Yeah. So on the back of everything we do, um, we work with a focus of, of tell every, tell your friends that I'm kind. My eyes are welling with tears, Jennifer. Yeah. (sighs) You know, at the time I kind of laughed at her and I was like, you know what? That's kind of selfish, Catherine. (laughs) It's a ploy to get all of the animals to come back. And you know what? It wasn't selfish at all. It was kind and compassionate. There's a lot of selfish things that we might want to be known for in this world, but being kind is probably the least selfish of all the things that I right. I would want to be known for right. and for her. So if you can strive towards getting a reputation for anything, yeah. kindness is a pretty good one. That's yeah. pretty good. She was a fiery redhead, competitive as the day is long. <laughs> she heard that her brother learned how to ride his bike. Um, in first grade, she was in kindergarten. She was hellbent. Like, I'm going to ride this bike by the time he gets home. And she worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. But just as fiery and as determined as she was, she had a hug that was so tight. 
um, and she had a love for not only the animals that she took care of, but for her friends and her family. She there was a lot to be learned from her, and I I don't think I Catherine was unique because she was my baby girl, but I think she had that innocent heart. There's that we can learn from all of the little ones that we're around. Mm. They just love abundantly. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that is so amazing. Last year you wrote a book, Finding Sanctuary. And the subtitle is How the Wild Work of Peace Restored the Heart of a Sandy Hook Mother. Tell me about Mm. peace. Was there peace in your life before? Did your definition change? How do you find peace? My definition totally changed. Mm. I knew that there was peace in my life. In, in what I considered peace at the time, I had it all wrong. Mm. Um, peace in my life is a contentness in who I am. Um, and that's been a change. That was a huge change. Um, because I think when you go through something, and I'm, I'm not claiming that anyone has to go through the loss of a child. I think we all go through some sort of transformational loss. Um, and whatever that loss is, whatever that looks like, I think we have the opportunity to be really stripped bare of what we believe, what we believe and what our values true, truly are and are forced to consider them. My hope for, for Freddie is that when that day happens in his life, and it will, he's young, there's going to be a day where he's going to put his own values in check, um, that he's good with them. I wasn't. I really wasn't. I needed to get real with who I am and what I stand for. And losing Catherine forced me to take a good hard look at what my life was all about. Um, And peace for me now is knowing that I can look in the mirror and be a person that I love and that someone else loves. And what if somebody listening doesn't have that today? Where do you start? I think you start with with just acknowledging what makes you beautiful. What makes you a human being of I, I really do believe that I think that as and, and as mothers, especially our lives are so wrapped up and defined by who we are in our kids or potentially who our kids are. And that if our kids aren't what we want them to be, then somehow we have failed. Um, And I think that when we can look at the fact that we are beautiful creatures and that we stand for something, um, it's it's where you can start really growing and and flourishing. Yeah. And that is when the peace becomes unconditional. We've talked about unconditional love, but what about unconditional peace? And I think... In the world, we're kind of taught that peace comes from financial security, from being having the job you want, from having the family you want, from having things go your way. That's peace mm-hmm. by the world's mm-hmm. standards. Yeah. I don't believe that. And that's no. not what you're talking about. And that's the reckoning that you had. And sadly, yours came partially as a result of, of loss. But any yeah. of us can do that work today. And I hope the listeners do because it's worth it, isn't it? Tell me about your oh, life today. It's hard. It's yeah. the, it, and it gets ugly and it gets brutal. And there's there were there are still things about me that I 
don't what I am my worst I am my own worst enemy and and I think I'm probably pretty common in that sense that we love to beat ourselves up what's different now is I've had the peace of knowing that I'm exactly where I need to be at that given moment and I think having that loss and being surrounded by so much compassion of people just support and you're doing great and just keep going I think that that feeds um, our souls in such a productive and positive way that if we can hold that I know when I start getting amped up again and I think oh my gosh how am I going to get this kid to college and how am I I'm going to you know the sanctuary is not going to thrive and we're not going to have the money to do what we need to do and and we're not I literally I have the the wherewithal now to say just stop Hmm. stop (laughs) it's not worth it you spend a lot of energy on that instead of spending energy on anything else when you That's do that, right. when you stay stuck in that cycle. Mm-hmm. When I've talked to mothers who have lost children or I've had friends that have lost children, something that eventually they get to is how would my child want me to live? It's kind of a place they're able to get to in order to, to keep going when it's not immediate, when it's not, when they're still grappling with that. Do I? Do I get up? Do I keep going? Do I, is there anything left for me? Mm. And the way you speak of Catherine, the way that you have honored her life, the way you still use her life as fuel and the way that I live, use my kids as my own fuel, Mm. whether they are with us still or not. I love that she is that fuel for you and that, I mean, she's your daughter. She's your daughter. And I love that. It is so powerful and so evident. And I dare say, if I may speak on her behalf, that she would be so honored and so thrilled. And what greater gift can you give somebody who, who is gone than to let their memory stand for something? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because I think that's what we all want at the, yeah. at the heart of every, every human being. We want to be seen mm-hmm. and we want to be loved. Yeah. And I think that when you lose a child, at least my experience was, what does that mean for who they are? Because whether they're, whether they're here physically, they're, they're still your child. Yeah. I will always be Catherine's mom. Right. It's a great title to be able to claim. And the fact that people that come to the sanctuary and people that, see the work that the sanctuary is doing and you know the people that meet freddie and me my hope is that they may not realize it but they're in whatever way small small way they're seeing Catherine. yeah what a gift it truly is it truly is okay where can people learn more about the sanctuary where can people go to follow you find you and can i just pay you a compliment you are so well-spoken and especially sharing things that are so close to your heart and so vulnerable. I am just so grateful to you for sharing your story because it is so much more than being a voyeur into a family who lost a child. This is about learning the meaning of life and not taking it for granted. And I'm so just so impressed and inspired by you and just, I'm so impressed with the way you, <clears throat> you share your story, Jennifer, truly. 
Thank you. Yeah. That really. means a lot. Oh. Okay, so where can people find out more about right. the sanctuary? So more about the sanctuary is at cvhfoundation.org. So Catherine Violet Hubbard, cvhfoundation.org. Um, my book's on Amazon, Finding Sanctuary. Yes. Um, and everything we do, um, including blogs and the work and ideas, uh, are on Facebook and Instagram. Perfect. And we'll link to everything at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com as well. So people can, can look it up there because, yeah, after spending this hour with you, people are going to want to know more and hopefully <laughs> donate and support this this legacy project. Amazing. Jennifer, I always ask my guests one final question, and it's hmm. this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? Hmm. To not be afraid. Just go, just go, be courageous, be bold. It's going to be okay. Yeah. I'm so proud of Frederick too. So he's moving on to do work in the dirt and everything like that. I love it. You didn't squash it. <laughs> he's going to Maine in the, in the fall wow. and I've become a closet crier <laughs> because yeah. I don't want him to, to even think for a minute that his leaving is anything but great and good and as it should be he knows i'm gonna miss him desperately yeah. uh, but he also knows that he'll be home for thanksgiving and he's gonna soar amazing because yeah. you've given him those wings it's amazing yeah. yeah well thank you so much jennifer for sharing your story for letting us into your life and for the good work you're doing through the animal sanctuary and honoring your daughter so so very amazing thank you I'm so grateful to Jennifer for coming on to share her story today. It's not easy to go back and relive those hardest moments of our life. But boy, is she extraordinary. And I am so grateful how she has shared what she has learned. And I'm sure some of you listening are scared to send your kids to school or you're going through your own challenge where you're wondering, how can I keep going? And I hope Jennifer will serve as an example to you that you can keep going. You can live richly. And you can choose to rise above those fears and create the life that you truly were meant to live. And as long as you're on this earth and get to wake up another day, live it. Love others. Show up. Shine your light. Because when you do, no evil can take that away from you. So Jennifer, we love you. We appreciate you. And I hope you'll check out that beautiful animal sanctuary that she has created in honor of her sweet daughter. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at jessicadalquist3 and everything's linked at extraordinarymomspodcast.com. Like I said, we're going to be having new episodes airing starting in September, so I hope you'll be subscribed so you can tune in then. But throughout the rest of the summer, I'll be sharing episodes from the archives that I feel like got buried in the midst of so many other extraordinary episodes. And I hope the those will continue to serve you as you multitask throughout your day and make memories with your family. Thanks so much for tuning in today and we'll see you in September for another episode with another extraordinary mom. Bye.